Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. 1 Samuel chapter 7 at somewhere near the beginning of the Bible. This week's text is from verse 3 till the end, verse 17, but I'll read from verse 2. It reads as follows. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the bars and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel, all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel in Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the, Lord, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Let's read from verse 8. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Thus far, in God's word, let us pray. 
Lord, this is your word. Speak to us by your word. This is your truth. May it be truth unto our lives even this evening. May it encourage, may it sanctify, may it bring about change in our lives. May it be that we we do not encounter your word and walk away unchanged. Speak to us, speak to us in spite of me. You know my weaknesses. Speak to us, Lord, I pray in your name. Amen. It is hopeful, as we approach tonight's passage, it is hopeful to remember where we started with the book of Samuel. It occurs at the tail end of the time of the judges in Israel. Behind us, the time of the judges. In front of us, the time of the kings. In fact, the very next chapter, they come and ask for a king. It was a time characterized often by the phrase, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did right in their own eyes. Immorality, injustice, a pursuit of foreign gods, sin. The days were dark and evil. There were pockets, individuals of people who feared God and who were earnest in their faith. We've already encountered some of them. Hannah, Samuel's mother, was one of them. But this was not the norm. This was not the norm. The norm was people did what was right in their own eyes. And it's against this backdrop that Samuel is born, and it's against this backdrop that the word of God came to Samuel. This happened three chapters ago. I'll just read a few verses from the end of chapter three. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the first verse of chapter 4, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. God appointed, God willed, God raised up Samuel to bring the word of God unto the people of God. That was three chapters ago. It is only now in chapter 7 that we see the right response to God's word as preached through Samuel. After much heartache and war and death in the preceding chapters, first 4,000 and then 30,000 soldiers died in battle. It is only now after last week they tried to use the Ark of the Covenant as a lucky charm. It is only now that we see the people of God take the matters of God seriously. The end of verse 2 in chapter 7, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. It is only now, it is only now that their hearts are ripe unto hearing what God has to say through Samuel. And so often as we read through the Old Testament, and last week was an example Often when we read through the Old Testament, we learn by their mistakes and their sins. But we have here in this chapter, chapter 7, a rare gem. We get a picture not just of an individual serving God, Samuel, Hannah, David, but a nation. 
a people that sought God with all their heart, and they did, they did so not just for a brief moment, but almost for an entire generation, all the days of Samuel's life. And so I want us to ponder, ponder and consider how we got from a nation that did what was right in their own eyes to a nation that in this chapter at least served the Lord. In those days, in the days when Samuel was judge over them, they feared the Lord. They served the Lord. They took the matters of God seriously. What are the marks of this God-fearing nation? What qualities sets them apart in this chapter? And so my first point, my first point, just verse 3 to verse 6, repentance and its fruits. A nation that fears God is certainly one that knows its need for repentance. After 20 years of lamenting after God, the people were finally ready to not only hear what Samuel had to say, but also to respond appropriately. So Samuel says to them, if, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, if this lament, this sorrow, this desire to see God reign once more over his people, if it is real, it cannot just be expressions of lament. I desire God. I need God. I long for God. It's not just looking at the world and realizing how broken we are. It's got to be more than that. You have to put your life where your mouth is. You have to put your lifestyle where your mouth is. If, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, this is how you do it. This is how you show it. Put away your idols. Put away your false gods and serve God and God alone. If you do not show your heart through this, then I have no reason to believe that you are what you say you are. The word of God, as declared by Samuel, as declared by the prophets of old, the word of God as revealed to us in the person and words and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the word of God, even as we read it and listen to it tonight. It demands response. Either we accept and repent and believe and we walk away changed and God sits on the throne of our heart and our lives. Or we reject it and we walk away unchanged. Finally, finally, after all this time, finally the word of God as declared through Samuel, it found good soil and it took root and it produced Fruit. In those days, they served the Lord. In the days of Samuel, the people were confronted with the word of God and they repented. They put away the bars and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Life changes when we serve God only. It requires us to put away and so the people put away their foreign gods. I want us to separate, for the sake of this narrative, repenting, verse 4, as they put away their foreign gods, to separate that from the conviction of sin, in verse 6. Verse 4, they put away their foreign gods, and then I read verse 5, Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel and Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered in Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. We have our sins. We have 
our sins. Just that word sin, it brings back memories and thoughts and shame and regrets to most of us. And every sin we know, we know this to be true, every sin is an abomination in the eyes of God. Every sin is a dirty stain on his perfect character. Every sin is fitting, is, is, is as fitting as the next to set us on our course to hell. It is right that we take sin seriously and live lives that fear God. We understand sin. But appreciate for a moment putting away other gods. Appreciate that we can so easily miss this. Us whose testimonies so often begin with, I grew up in a Christian home. Repentance can so easily boil down to my parents used to force me to go to church as a child and now I go to church willingly. (laughs) And there's no apparent idols. I've never believed in the Baals or the Ashtaroth or the Buddhas or the Allahs. I've never believed those things. So what, what do I have to turn from? A quote from John Piper, shout out to Jabu. A quote from John Piper There is no fear, there is no sphere, rather, of the Christian life where Christ does not cry out, mine. If we be gods, then all of us ought be gods. It's not just about a statue in my house, it's about the allegiance of my heart. When I wake up in the morning, who do I serve? You might have 20 priorities. God is not satisfied with being one of 20. He's not even satisfied with being number one of 20. It's not about priorities. It's about the throne of our hearts. And there is only one throne. If God be not on the throne of your heart, you are in trouble. Appreciate that it is possible to get an external appearance right of avoiding sin. We can dance the right dance and avoid all the right sins and tick all the right boxes of no drugs, no sex, no rock and roll. And we think because we've avoided these things that honestly our parents just scared us into avoiding these things. We think because we've avoided these things, we have less to repent of. And then we wake up in the morning and we serve ourselves. Does God sit on the throne of your heart? The question I put to you right now is not, do you believe in God? Your parents scared you into believing in God too. But the God that you believe in, do you serve him and him alone? Does he rule over your life? Does he sit on the throne of your heart? Or do you treat God as a spectator in the arena of your life? True repentance is not just a once-off turning from this to this. It's continuous. It grips my entire life from this point forward. Consider if you're driving down the N1, you're going at 120, and you realize you forgot, you forgot something at home. Step one, turn around. Step two, carry on going. If you just turn around and Stay there. You're not going anywhere. So repentance should not just be past tense. Repentance is not just when I was baptized seven years ago. 
Repentance is present tense. And so today, today when I wake up in the morning and pray, God ought to be God. The will of God ought to be the concern of my prayers. Not my will, but His will. And when I go out from my home and I live my life, God ought to be God. The glory of God ought to be my pursuit. Not my glory, not my ego, not my bank account. And when I consider my neighbor, when I consider the poor, when I consider the lost, when I consider the church, God ought to be God. It is the love of God and the obedience to his commands that ought to be my concern. What does it look like to serve God and God alone? What does it look like to put God on the throne and to live life for him and him alone? We ought to ask ourselves these questions and we ought to ask them often. In the days of Samuel, they turned from their foreign gods and they served the one true God. And then they came together and Samuel prayed for them. And they came under the conviction of sin and they cried out to God, confessing their sins. My first point, repentance and its fruits. My second point, verse 7 to 11, redemption and its cost. A nation, a people that takes the things of God seriously, they recognize their need for redemption and they recognize that this comes at a cost. One moment, we have Samuel in verse 3. Put away your foreign gods, direct your hearts, the one true God, and serve him only. Repent. And it comes with this promise. He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. He will. They respond accordingly. They gather together as a nation. They repent. They confess their sins. The next moment, we have the Philistines. They catch wind of this gathering and they think to themselves, our time has come. Now is our time to strike. Now is the opportune moment to finish them off once and for all, so let's attack. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Repent, turn from your gods, God will deliver you. The promise is clear. But the second the Philistines appear on the horizon, Please, Samuel, cry out to God to save us. Are they deaf? Are they daft? Are they doubters? Perhaps all three. And so fear and panic sets in. How does Samuel respond? So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. This is enough to put a bee in the bonnet of any animal rights activist. What did this poor, innocent lamb do to deserve this death? What does, what does sacrificing this lamb achieve? Is Samuel bribing God? Is this just an Old Testament equivalent of what people do in South Africa today, sacrificing goats to ancestors to appease some sort of evil spirit? Is this just another ritual like dancing around a totem pole and if we dance long enough and sing loud enough, our God will grant us some sort of favor? Maybe they were deaf. Maybe they were daft. Maybe 
they were consumed with doubt. Maybe in the midst of all the chaos, when the reality set in, with the enemy on horizon, their faith in the promises of God betrayed them. And yet, as the story unfolds, we see in Samuel's response this foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross. Repentance in and of itself does not make us right with God. As if we could bribe God with our tears and sins and regrets and look at me, God. Look at how much I've changed. Look at all the sins I used to do when I was younger that I don't do anymore. Look at all the idols I've put away. Look at what I've done. Look at how I've kept myself. Look at how deserving I am of love and prosperity and heaven and all the rest of it. These things cannot make us right before a holy God. It was not in their repentance. They repented. It was true repentance. And that's wonderful. That's right. But it was not in their repentance that their victory was secured. But as, as the lamb was slain, Samuel cried out to God and God answered him. The Philistines drew near, but the Lord thundered in response. God ordained it that it be thus, that as innocent blood was spilled, as the aroma of pure, undefiled, burnt flesh filled the air, God ordained it thus, that that be when victory was secured. God ordained it thus, that that be when the promise was fulfilled. And we sing the hymn, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I'll stand. A separate hymn, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Could God have just snapped his finger and magically given them victory? Of course he could. But where's the fun in that? Remove the lamb, remove the precious blood of Jesus, and you'll find our tears of repentance will not suffice to save us. Remove the lamb and whether it be Philistines on the horizon or the burning fires of hell, remove the lamb and we have no reason to believe that we are saved indeed. Many, many a criminal, months after their offense, they have sat in the courtroom and expressed some sort of remorse and regret. But unless they pay the due penalty for their sins, their tears mean Nothing. They will serve their sentence no matter their tears. Has the penalty for your sins been paid? We are to walk free, not because we got a get-out-of-jail-free card. And if we are made right with God, it is not the absence of justice, it is because there is one who is willing to suffer in our place, only the blood of the Lamb, only Jesus. There is no other hope. He is righteous, we are sinful. He is holy, we are unholy and evil. Only His blood can save. There is no other that can save you. And so Samuel sacrificed an innocent lamb 
foreshadowing the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The innocent lamb sacrificed not because sheep are special creatures that we need to worship, but to point forwards in history that one day, behold, the lamb of God come to take the sins of the world. Repent, Samuel says, looking forward. Here is the lamb to represent the justice of God being satisfied. And tonight, it is the same gospel. Repent, but we no longer look forward. We look back. Looking back 2,000 years ago to when our Savior died on a criminal's cross for our sins. We, don't, we do not need any further foreshadowing. We do not need any further sacrifice. We don't need any more lambs. For the Lamb of God has already paid that which needs to be paid Redemption and its cost. The passage does not end there. My third point, verse 12 to 14, remembrance and its benefits. Verse 12, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he called its name Ebenezer, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. What story is told at the end of the day? What story have we Read even here tonight, what was the point? Who, who gets the glory? Till now, the Lord has helped us. And so Samuel set up a stone and he called its name Ebenezer. Till now, the Lord has helped us. That word Ebenezer it should get our ears tingling. At the beginning of chapter 4, the Israelites made their encampment at a field named Ebenezer. There they were defeated and 4,000 fell on that day. And so Samuel makes the point. Come death, come defeat and battle, come even the stupidity and the sin of the people of God. It is not their will, but God's will that prevails. Till now, God has kept us. Till now, God has preserved the nation. Till now, God has helped us. His faithfulness has prevailed against our unfaithfulness. His righteousness has prevailed against our iniquities. And surely, surely the blood of the Lamb prevails against our sin. And this, this is the anchor that keeps us in the storms of life. This is the heading that keeps us secure on our course. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He gets the glory. We would do well to remember this, and we would do well to remember this often. All that we are, if there indeed be any good in us, if indeed we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, of course there's repentance. Of course we turn from our sins. But all that we are, if we be anything at all, it is because thus far God has kept us. We have no other boast. We have no other leg to stand on. A nation, a people that would faithfully serve God for any duration of time. 
is one that remembers who God is and one that remembers what God has done. And as it remembers this, it keeps God as God. And we, we are lowly and humble. We have no boast. As I conclude just the last three verses, a brief comment on Samuel's life. Verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. There is no doubt in my mind that God is at the center of this narrative. It is God who saves. It is God who helps and keeps and preserves. But it is also God who sends men who fear God to guide the people in the ways of God. We cannot overlook how God raised up Samuel. We cannot overlook the quality of his leadership. We could have preached a whole sermon just on the leadership of Samuel. And in the coming chapters, the narrative focuses more on the kings, on the Saul's and the David's. But there's an irony to it. In Samuel, in Samuel, the people had a better leader than most, if not all, of the kings. There was a, a tenderness to him. He prayed for the people. He judged Israel all the days of the life, all the days of his life, rather, the equivalent of Finishing the race, as Paul would put it. He was not perfect. Next week we find out how he fell short in raising his sons. But this was a God-fearing man. He worshipped God. Year after year, he faithfully went about his task. And everything in this chapter is the fruit of that. By God's grace, in the days of Samuel, the people responded to the word of God in Repentance. What about our day? What about you? What about me? How will we respond to God's word? Will we repent? Will we look upon the Lamb of God as our only hope? Will we remember what God has done all the days of our life? Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that even as we, we read stories of old, of the prophets of old, Christ is so plain to us. The gospel be so plain to us that it is just the blood of the Lamb. I have no other boast. my good works, my repentance, even my turning from other gods, it does not make me right. Justice was satisfied and, and so the gospel is, is beautiful. God has loved us so. Make this plain to us. Thank you, Lord, that we we no longer have to look forward sacrificing lambs in obedience. 
Now we look back at the finished work of the cross and we rejoice. Thank you for salvation. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.